So glad that you're here this morning. So glad that you've decided that God is worthy to be praised because he is. Amen. He is worthy to be praised and we've got to enjoy and fix our minds where they needed to be this morning through singing and partaking of the Lord's Supper. You know, I'm reminded every time and what a beauty it is for us to be able to partake of the Lord's Supper every first day to remember what Jesus did for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to talk about giving today, but Paul says in verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, how about that? Though he was rich, he became poor so we could become rich. Now, that's something important, isn't it? Because all spiritual blessings come in Christ Jesus. And the only way to get into Christ Jesus is to get into his death. Amen? By obedience to the gospel, when we come out of the waters of baptism, it's not magical water, it's obedience. We do what he asks us to do, and when we come out, we come out brand new, ready to serve him, ready to do his will. And that's what I want to ask you today as we continue our lessons on having the mind of Christ in this world today, and we come to the topic of giving and as we begin, I want us to focus on what Jesus said about giving. I want us to think we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 9, but I want to just kind of kick these thoughts off with Luke chapter 1, verse 38. Look at what Jesus says about giving. He says, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus uses this concept in the verse of talking about grain being sold towards others. However you measure to your brother, however you measure towards another, is it a good measure? Is it pressed down? Is it shaken together? Is it running over? You think about it. If I'm going to get some grain, I want to get a good measure, don't I? I want it to be worthy of what I paid for. I don't want it to be fluffy, right? Think about the concept. Pressed down means if there was anything that was any air in this measurement, I would push down and I would make sure that it was full of grain. What an impressive thought. What a master teacher the king is. Amen. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. When you think about the word give, this one word summarizes the Christian life, doesn't it? Jesus said this in Paul in Ephesians, I mean in, in Acts chapter 20 when he's talking to the Ephesian elders. 
He tells them this. He says, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. To take a deeper look at this concept, I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And what we're going to see is Jesus' truth taught, in the, uh, taught to the Corinthian brethren. And we can pull some nice, encouraging, and I hope uplifting applications to our lives today from these verses. But let me put us into the context very quickly. Let me, can I have just a minute of your time to dive into the Word of God and see what blessings you can get from it? Can I have just a minute of your time to get you into the context of what we're really going to talk about today? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7, let me read from the Holy Word. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of, to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he be, had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, these first seven verses, is talking to the brethren about generosity. What a great thought. Generosity, amen? Generosity. In spite of the severe test of affliction, Paul's bragging on these Macedonian brethren. He says, despite their, their, their test of affliction and their poverty, Despite this extreme poverty that they had, they were wanting and they were willing to give to the brethren in Jerusalem. They didn't have anything to give. They were faced with extreme poverty and severe affliction, but they gave and they gave beyond what they could give. What a beautiful application for us, amen? If we try to look for excess, we'll never give, will we? We'll always find a reason why we need to hold back. We always think we need every dollar that we have. But the point is not merely that they gave in spite of their own dire circumstances. No, their giving was done specifically with this quality, joy. Because they wanted to. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, think about what the Bible says. Paul says that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. It's a big deal. 
Matt, you talking about my pocket. You talking about my money that I earn. Yeah. But I'm not talking about it. God's talking about it. I'm not talking about it. God's talking about it. Paul then draws their attention to the example of Christ, as I just read, who said even though he was rich, you think Jesus was rich in heaven? Even though Jesus was rich, he became poor for our sakes so that we might become rich. And the rest of the chapter deals with the thought that the Corinthians were, were willing to give. But now it was time. The time had come. They were willing to do it, but would they do it? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 24. It says, Therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Paul had all faith in them. Paul had all faith that the Corinthians were going to do what they said they were going to do. Which brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Brethren, I'm excited about this lesson. And it's not because I'm trying to get a raise, okay? I ain't trying to get a raise, y'all. The elders didn't have me get up here so they could, could puff the, the bank account. What does a Christian look like today? A Christian gives. See, here's the concept. Four things and the lesson will be yours. Just hang with me and I promise you'll get a blessing out of this. If you hang with me, you will get a blessing. The first thing that we need to consider is this. We must be prepared to give. Amen? Look at verses 1 through 5 in, in chapter 9. Now concerning the ministering of the saints... It is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians. That Achaia was ready a year ago. And your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect. That as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we... Not to mention you should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Verse 5, therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging oblig obligation. This is a huge word for me, and I've worked on it. And I think that I'm going to say it right. But if I don't, scholars, don't hold it against me, okay? Paul says, it is superfluous <laughs> for me to write to you. What in the world is he talking about? He says that it, it's, it's more, I'm, I'm puffing this up too much. It's more than necessary. I don't even have to write you this, but I'm writing to th this is a huge exaggeration for me because I already know that this is true, that in your heart, you guys are willing to give. 
He says writing this is really not necessary because I know your willingness. Now think about what Paul has done and think about what we can do, brethren. Not only was Paul bragging on the Macedonians for the way that they gave, what was Paul doing? He was bragging on the Corinthians to the Macedonians about their willingness to give. Brethren, don't think that what you do don't affect people's lives. Don't think that the way you act and the things that you hold up don't matter in people's lives. And I'm going to use an example, and he doesn't know I'm going to use it, but Derek spoke last Thursday, and I could see the emotion in him. I could see the emotion in Derek as he gave an example of a young girl who decided to put God first. What an amazing thing it was. What an encouraging thing it was. Don't think that the things that you do and the things that you say don't affect people's lives because it does. Amen. Here was Paul bragging back and forth to the point that he says that your zeal has stirred up the majority in verse 2. When we think about our giving, are we willing? Does our zeal to give stir up the majority? When we look at our giving each week, when we look at the board, there's the budget, $4,000. Are we encouraged or discouraged when we see the number? Real talk. The willingness of the Macedonians and the willingness of the Corinthians were an encouragement to Paul and to so many others. When we think about Fountainhead and we think about our giving for all the things that we have going on, go get you a sheet of the budget and look at all the things that we're doing. To God be the glory. I mean, if you haven't took time to see what's happening in this congregation, you got to check it out. People in the world are being affected. People in this community are being affected. Does that not fire you up to give? Or have we fallen in the rut? Does our giving encourage the elders? Does our giving encourage other members? I don't know what you give, it doesn't matter. What am I giving? What am I doing? We have a budget, and I'm just barking on this because I looked back there and saw it, that needs to be met for all the works that we have. Is that a big deal to us or not? Are we making preparations to give to help the congregation function the way that it should? Do we give because there's generosity in our heart and we're willing to give more if we need to? Or because we got to do it? Because it's this grudging obligation. Paul, even though they are willing, he wants them to be prepared. Are we prepared to give? Isn't it an act of worship? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Paul talks about laying aside 
Are we prepared when we give or is it just, oh man. Preparation helps ensure giving comes from a willing and generous heart. Verse 5 is the point here. He says, therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. You remember Peter and over and over in the scriptures, we always need a reminder. Don't you need a reminder? You know, I set my alarm usually on Sundays for 5 a.m., but my reminder that I set this morning was for 5.30. So when I woke up at 5.13, I thought, what in the world? Well, I've made it 5.30, so that's my fault, but I was mad at my phone, right? Can't believe you didn't go off when I set you. I ain't supposed to go off yet, right, was the response. No, I didn't really talk about it. It didn't really talk back to me. Paul wanted to remind them that they were giving generously. And it's not this grudging obligation that should put them down. It's because they wanted to give. It's because they were happy to do it. Not because they were being forced by the apostle rule. Not because God had stuck his thumb down on them and said, this is what you do. They weren't being forced to, they wanted to obey. The second thing to consider is we must be prepared to give, but the second thought is how you sow is how you reap. Look at verse 6, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul uses a farming concept to illustrate a spiritual truth. If you put out only a few seeds on the ground, what you going to have, a big crop? You're going to have that big old acreage of crop when you throw out that little seed, one or two handfuls. No. Sowing sparingly and thinking just about that application. Sowing sparingly is to withhold giving. It's to lack generosity, right? Don't go into our lives. Stay with the farm illustration. It's to lack generosity because I'm not going to throw out a bunch of seed. I throw out just a little bit. But sowing bountifully is to be generous. It's to be giving. Verse 7 says, what's in our heart is what matters. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Where's our heart when it comes to giving? helping those in need, helping those in the congregation. You know, this principle is taught as well in Proverbs chapter 11. I want you to think about it. Look at what it says in, in Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right. But it leads to what? Poverty. And I love the ending of this. 
The generous soul may be rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. <laughs> now we getting somewhere. Now we starting to move into something. See, Satan wants us to think that the more generous we are, the less we're going to have. Amen? Hey, the more you give, the less you're going to have. Why do you want to do that? You work for that. That's your hard-earned money. Jesus and Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says it doesn't work like that. Don't miss the point. See, this isn't a prosperity gospel. But wait a minute, it might be. If it's according to the way God wants it to be. See, this is not the thought that if I give so much to the Lord, he's going to supply all my fleshly desires. No, the point is not this. It's not to give a little now so that you can have more later. You want to know what it is? It's don't be scared to give. God is quenching our fears of being generous. See, what's the fear? If I'm generous, then I'm going to make myself suffer, right? So we need to hold close to our money. So is the Bible saying, giving everything you have to the Lord and have nothing? Come on now. But here's what Paul's saying. The reason we should not fear giving and being generous is because, because God says that our lack of generosity, now catch this one. God says that our lack of generosity will mean we will reap sparingly. Do we hear it? You may think that you're going to be able to make a lot of money. And you might do it. But God says, and if we, believe, if we believe what his word says, then it changes the way we live and it changes the way we act when it comes to our money. See, the thought is this, that our lack of generosity is proof that you're going to reap sparingly. And another thing, <laughs> and another thing, Verse 7 says this specifically, God loves a cheerful giver. You ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what that means? Shouldn't we stop and think about what that says? When the Bible tells us that God loves something, don't you want to be a part of that? If God says that he loves something, shouldn't we be a part of that group? Amen? Well, I want to. I want to be a part of that group that God loves, right? I want to be a part of the group that God loves. And God loves a cheerful giver. God loves one who gives and does it bountifully. We should be givers because that's the kind of heart that we have for the kingdom. We must consider this principle, brethren, and let it weigh on our hearts. Look at verse 8. 
And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Now we're starting to get somewhere now. See, don't let Satan keep you up here. Don't let Satan keep you up here. Get down into the blessing. Dig down into the blessing. Think about what that says. Because of our generous hearts, God will make you abound. God supplies not for selfish pursuits. Amen? Amen? But so we can have an abundance of good deeds. How about that one? Think about it. God gives to us so that we can do what? So that we can abound in bringing glory to his name. Amen? That's the beauty of this psalm that comes up in this verse. Have you ever thought about this verse? If you just pass by it real quick, it automatically seems like he's talking about God. Look at what it says, verse 9. As it is written... He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever, right? Isn't that true about God? Absolutely. But if you dig a little bit, look at what Psalm 112, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9 says. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. Now watch it. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desires upon his enemies. He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. Brethren, that needs to be us. It's talking about the righteous. What an incredible thought, Paul. The psalmist lets us in on this truth. God sustains the righteous. Come on now. The one who is just, the one who deals generously, the one who distributes freely and gives to the poor, God's constant resupply allows them to continually give to be a helper to others. I've seen it live in this congregation, how that works. I've seen it happen more and more and what an encouragement it is to me and if you are a part of that God bless you God bless you verse 10 shows this point now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Why is God going to supply these things to us? Why is he going to resupply us as we give generously? So we can have an increase. And I want you to hear this. In harvest for righteousness. 
So we will be generous in doing good works and bring glory and honor to his name. How incredible is that, brethren? You want the word to speak to you? Here it is. The Spirit is telling us something right now. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increases the fruits of your righteousness. That's big talk. You remember Malachi chapter 3 when they were robbing God with their tithes and offerings. They was barely even giving anything. You remember what God said to him? He said, try me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me in this now. God Almighty says, try me in this now, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Preach. Preach, Malachi. Preach. You want to be rich? You want to be rich? Give. You want to be rich? Give. You want to be rich? Give. And test him. Try him. But I'm going to give you a warning. You better be prepared. (laughs) You better be prepared. The last thing to consider when we talk about giving is my favorite thought. Giving produces thanksgiving. Look at verse 11. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgivings through us to God. Verse 12, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is a gift, y'all, that we get to be a part of, and it's indescribable. We see this truth again that God is replenishing us in verse 11 so that we can be generous in every way. And here's the other blessing that comes with it. Our giving causes thanksgiving. Don't, Don't miss this one. Because of our giving, it causes others to thank God. Literally, I remember a missionary coming in here not too long ago and said that the Philippine brethren needed a van. Y'all remember that? Before that brother left out the building, he had a check and they got a van. You think they gave God the glory? I guarantee you they did. A brand new van to go and pick the brethren up, to go preach the gospel. And we were a part of that. 
And it was as quick as could be. Brethren, it doesn't matter what's going on. We still have things that are happening right now in this congregation that will affect people's lives at this moment. Don't think that when you drop something in that plate that it's in vain because it's not. There's many people who are being affected by it. Just help somebody. Last week, to God be the glory. Verse 12 says, our generosity causes people to give thanks and glorify the Almighty. And we get to have a part in that. What about that? Is our giving important? Absolutely. Verse 13 through 15, I want to read it one more time as we close out. While through the proof of this ministry, the proof of this giving, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and your liberal sharing with them and all men. Verse 14 says, and by their prayer for you who long for you because of this exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This closes out the thoughts and our challenge for today is this. Giving is hard sometimes. And it's hard for us to grasp. But when we do understand it, when we do understand what comes with it, and all that it does for us as well, it should become something that we do with confidence and with joy. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We all have the ability, brethren, to reap what we sow. God loves a cheerful forgiver. I'm, <laughs> he does love that. But God loves a cheerful giver. And if you don't believe that, try him. Try him. Be happy when you put it into play. Be happy when you give to somebody. And see what happens in your life. Just watch. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with that thought. Maybe your giving isn't what it's supposed to be. Maybe you need prayers. Maybe you need encouragement. We can pray with you. But I want to offer a gift, friend, if you're in the audience and you're not a Christian, I want to offer you a free gift. It's called the gospel. And it comes by way of Jesus. He did something for us so he could offer salvation to us. He died on a cross. And if you believe in Jesus and you believe who he is and that he died on that cross and he was buried and he rose again and you believe that he is the son of God and you're willing to turn from your ways and, and in your mind say, you know what? I'm tired of living this way. I want to live for him. And then if you say, you know what? I want my sins washed away, Matt. I, I want to be found right in God's eyes. There's a way to do that. You go into these, these waters back here. And you go in dead, as I said earlier, and you come out brand new. Forgiven of your sins. If you want to obey the gospel, 
If you want to become his child, you can do it today. Don't wait and miss the opportunity as we stand and as we sing.